really warm welcome to the teaching ministry of New Life Church Crawley. We're a multicultural, intergenerational church. We believe in the gospel of Christ. We believe in spreading his love through his word and through his works. We really hope that you enjoy what you hear today. We'd love for you to connect with us via the usual social media outlets, such as Facebook or on our website. Teach you a song um, that's a bit of an action song because uh, Kerry wants to do that for next week as well. Those of you who are on the families group will have seen some of the actions that were sent out this week, so I'm expecting perfection. I know I won't get it, but I can live it. I can I can live in hope, can't I? So yeah, thank you. The announcements, please. So as we said, welcome. Uh, for those of you who are joining us online as well. Uh, if this is your first time, we pray God's blessing on you. Uh, we have a whole uh, stream and a whole set of stuff on YouTube that you can look at our, our previous services and the teaching series. I uh, just finished a series called Building a Spiritually Dynamic Church. And that's what we want to be, isn't it? That's our expectation. We want to be uh, that vibrant people. So you can look at that online as well. Next slide. Thank you, Bethany. So for those of you who are newer to the church or, or those of you who are a bit more technically challenged, um, we do use what's called the Signal app. It's very similar to WhatsApp, only it's a little bit more secure in terms of encryption. Uh, so if you're not on that, um, but you'd like to keep informed of kind of the events in the church and kind of things that we post out, then the Signal app is the way to do that. And we have all the other social media channels as usual. It's on YouTube. Uh, we're on Facebook and Little Stars has its own Facebook. You can email us, Twitter, Instagram, all of those things. We're all, all over social media. But the Signal app is the one that will keep you informed of kind of the, the weekly activities in the church. We try not to post too much. It's only the admins who can post, so it's only relevant information, so you won't be bombarded with stuff. And truthfully, I turn off all notifications on every app that I have, otherwise it would drive you insane. So that's my recommendation to you. But please stay connected. Um, there are some leaflets around at the back uh, detailing all the stuff around Christmas. For those of you who are observant, you will have noticed the, the banner on the way in or the banner on the outside. How many noticed the banner? Well done. Brownie points for you. You can have a biscuit at the end. <laughs> the rest of you have to win in line. Um, so we have some leaflets uh, that kind of detail, but... Uh, the most up-to-date information usually goes on the website. So if you want the most up-to-date information about Christmas, it's newlifecrawley.church forward slash Christmas. Okay, say after me, newlifecrawley.church. Well done. So no one, no one has any excuse for saying to me, I didn't know that was on. Because you're all on your phones, you're all on your tablets, and that's just the kids. So you know there's no excuse, it's all there. The one additional thing that isn't on your sheet, uh, and the evangelism team, and we were out this week as well, uh, round the doors, the one thing that isn't on, but is on the website, is there's now going to be a Christmas Day service. Um, okay, you better turn up. <laughs> the, who cheered? I want to see your hands. You better turn up. <coughs> I won't be turning up soon. I'll be at home with my boys, having a nice Italian breakfast, Oscar. You, 
we always have a nice Italian breakfast. We have a lazy morning because our kids don't get us up at stupid o'clock anymore. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, so Ian and Liz are leading a Christmas Day service, uh, and that was decided after that was printed. So that's why you don't have that information on that. What's next, Bethany? Yes, as we mentioned previously, uh, in January we're starting a bereavement course, which is open to everyone. Um, there is a sign-up sheet at the back. Those who, of you who spoke to us previously, if I had your name and I have your details, I've printed that on there already. There's a few other sign-in names as well. Uh, if you're interested in the bereavement course, um, it's a six-week course dealing with loss at any stage of our life. The problem with loss is we, we, we kind of stuff it down, don't we? And we put that, I'll deal with that later. And we never do. But like a balloon, you squeeze a balloon at one point, it'll pop somewhere. Uh, and so we want to help you kind of talk through that process. We, we know that Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted, but sometimes you need people with skin on. Yeah, sometimes you need to walk that journey with other people as well. Uh, so we'll be doing that course uh, starting in January. There is a cost to it, and that's for two reasons. Number one, for the resources that we have to purchase to run it. And also, secondly, um, when you pay for something, you tend to turn up, don't you? That's the truth. So it's a bit of accountability and responsibility as well to, to do that. Have I one final one, which is giving. Um, we encourage people to give. If, you, if this is your spiritual home in particular, we encourage you to give by standing order uh, because that's the way that we can manage things very easily. Many of you um, give sacrificially. We understand that um, uh, and we commend you for that and God knows. And as we say regularly, Jesus made it spiritual when he said, where your treasure is, where your heart is. That's the truth. Uh, and we don't pressurize anyone to give, but... Uh, the ministry of the church is facilitated through giving. And I'll talk a little bit about that later in the message um, uh, as well. So if you're a guest, you can scan the QR code. Uh, within the next few weeks, we'll be having one of those fancy terminals where you can just tap as well. So for visitors uh, and, and other events, we're going to be able to do that. For regulars, we encourage standing order. That's, that's just the easiest way. Um, so, yeah, let, let's do the song. Kerry, you're going to model the actions. No, I won't make you do that. I won't make you do that. Relax, relax. But we, we do have, this song is called, Oh, What a Glorious Night. Yep. So, there are, I have to get the words because it's a New Year's song to me as well. Um, but next week we want you to have this all down to pat. Let me see where the, where the words are. Here we go, sorry. So the words are that the shepherds came to see the baby, stood by his mother's sides. Here laid the Savior inside a manger. Oh, what a glorious night. Do any of you know this song? Okay, Kerry does. So you're going to have to model the accent, sorry. Sorry, Kerry. Come, come on, come on. Just to give them an idea, let's start this off well. So the shepherds came to see the baby. The very natural action with that, yeah. So you're, you're, you're walking. This is, you'll get your steps in, whatever way you do. The shepherds came to see, and they stood by the mother's side. Um, inside a manger, oh, what a glorious night. So kind of glory coming down, yeah. Some of you remember your disco days? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I know what's going through your mind, Liz. I know what's happening. Oh, what a glorious night. I hear the angels, so I hear... 
the angels sing hallelujah sing hallelujah i know that love has come there you go okay jesus christ is born and then the shepherds wandered no wandered at not wandered See, the thing is, Kerry got me a few weeks ago, but God has my back. God has my back. Thank you, Jesus. And she's a teacher. They say you shouldn't work with children and animals. What about staff? Oh, that was good. Thank you, Jesus. The shepherds wandered, as in... They couldn't hide it, told everyone's sight. All were amazed when they heard, God came down in the glorious night. I heard the angels sing hallelujah. You'll get it. Don't mind her. <laughs> no. Who said ah? Did you? No. We, we love her. Come on, relax, relax. So we're going to play this song. We're going to stand and sing. Make it up as you go along if you need to. Uh, but next week, I expect perfection. So Let's stand together. Kids, if you want to come to the front, if you know this one, you can. Oh, what a glorious night. <sighs> okay. And there were in the same country shepherds, abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them. And the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you tidings of great joy. It should be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in the manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. The shepherds came to see the baby stood by his mother's side. Here lay the Savior inside a manger. Oh, what a glorious night.
Fantastic. High five me on the way past. High five, high five, high five, high five. Well done, Kerry. You redeemed yourself. Huh? I'm going to switch mics, uh, Bethany, to this one. What a great song, huh? It's good to retell the story because let's be honest, we can all remember the songs that we sing. We can all remember the tunes. And it's good to remind ourselves and that we can do that with a bit of fun as well. Okay. I don't know about you, but I think it's true that most of us hate waiting. Hands up if you hate waiting. Oh, it's such a pain, isn't it? You, you, you just, uh, even when you get, you're in the supermarket and you're in the queue and you spot one that looks quicker, you know, as soon as you go there, it's not quicker. It slows down. I, I think God does that on purpose for us. You know, whether it's, it's on the phone. Who likes waiting on a queue on the phone? But be nice because some people, that's part of their job. Isn't that right, Bethany? So be nice to people when you have to queue on the phone. Or at other times, whether it's, it's coming to meetings. I, I saw this slide that I thought was quite ironic but funny. Next slide, Bethany, please. I'm late for meetings because I hate waiting for people to show up to meetings. <laughs> Isn't that a great excuse? I'm not looking at anyone. But next slide. Or when we're, we're going to an event, you know, and we're told, no, no, you have to stay behind the barrier. Those of you from other cultures know that in other cultures, there's no such thing as queuing, is there? You know, first couple of times I went to Pakistan, I thought, well... <laughs> We, we come from a culture, we, we like to queue. You know, if someone says form a line, we do that. I learned in Pakistan that as soon as someone opens the, the gate, it's like a rugby scrum. Same in India. It's like forget. So first couple of times, I was letting people go on and then find, okay, well, these people behind me have seen I'm in the queue now. No. So the next rugby form Scrum forms, so I just decided in the end, I'm not going to try and be British and be polite in queues. Why, why do we hate it so much? Why is it, psychologists have suggested that one of the reasons people dislike queuing and waiting so much is the fear of the unknown. We don't like that, do we? When am I going to get this answered? When is they're going to prove that this call is actually important to them. When, when am I going to get served? When, when, when? Even at traffic lights, we're, we're, how long is this going to take? Huh? We get so irritated, so annoyed, so dismayed. And psychologists say that's part of the fear the, of the unknown. There's also a second reason psychologists suggest is that when we're in a queue, when we're waiting and, we, uh, and we're getting impatient, that sense of powerlessness that we experience is part of the reason that we don't like it. The philosopher William James says, a day full of waiting, of unsatisfied desire for change will seem like a small eternity. Have you ever been in those moments? It may be as simple as a queue, but maybe seasons of your life where it seems like waiting is a small eternity. 
We, ha- we all have. It's, it's an unavoidable experience of life, but it's also very much rooted in the Bible story. It's part of God's work in us, having that sense of expectation, having that sense of longing, having that sense of desire. And there's an incredible verse in Deuteronomy where it says that God tested their hearts to see what was in it. Sometimes the waiting period will test our hearts and sometimes it reveals to ourself what's actually in our hearts. So God does that at times and he, he certainly did it as part of the Christmas story. And let's be honest, we all know that there's so much hype, there's so much commercialism about Christmas and it seems as if kids are right from the start of November uh, they want their presents, they're making lists, they're, they're thinking about things and, and very soon it becomes the hype. Some schools now don't even call it Christmas fairs, they call it winter fairs and other things like that. It's become so politically correct because it's moved away from what it should be. For those of you who are parents of small children or about to be parents, let, let me help you with something, with toddlers Do you know all that stress that you go through, all that hype, all that agony to get the perfect present? You don't need to do that. I came across this little video. This will help you. Parents everywhere. Let's play. You don't have to thank me. I've probably just saved you a ton of money and a lot of stress, huh? Because let's be honest, that's exactly what toddlers go. No matter what you get them, no matter how much you spend. Yeah, I'm talking about you. See? (laughs) That's reality. So in the midst of all the hype, in the midst of all the nonsense, how do we as those who are seeking to be followers of Christ, how do we foster that sense of expectation? You know, however challenging you find Christmas, I can tell you as a preacher, it's hard. Because everybody knows the story. Everybody knows, so how do you bring something that's fresh? How do we bring that sense of expectation? I want to suggest one, a couple of things to you. Kerry's going to help me in a few minutes. We can foster a sense of expectation in the promise of a saviour. Come with me to Luke chapter 2 if you have your Bibles. And we will know the story. So I'm just going to read a couple of verses for the sake of time. Luke chapter 2. We'll read more next week. Next week, if you haven't cottoned on, is kind of our nativity, stroke crib service, stroke whatever you call it. It's our service where the kids get involved and we retell the story more fully. So you'll hear some of those readings more fully next week. Verse 10 of Luke 2 says, But the angel reassured reassured them, Don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all the people. Such a simple message, but actually it was so important because from the Old Testament to the New Testament period where where John the Baptist comes, it's a period of 400 years. You think you have to wait a while? You think you're waiting? No. 400 years from the last time God spoke until John the Baptist comes and says, prepare the way of the Lord. I come as a voice crying in the wilderness, Messiah is coming. And the angels came and announced that. 
And one of the principles I think we have to learn that a waiting time doesn't have to be a waste of time. So often we feel that, don't we? God, you've spoken into my life. You've said this. I, I believe in these promises. I'm standing in faith. Why am I waiting? Why have all this waiting? But God comes to us and says, the waiting time is not a waste of time if our hearts are in the right place. If we have that sense of expectancy, because God is so often more interested in that lovely word that some of you don't like me saying, but it's true. God is in the process. God is in our journey. He's not just in the destination of getting us there. So our waiting time doesn't have to be a waste of time if we will allow God to speak into us. The birth of Jesus was the realization of God's covenant promise. God keeps his promises. Way back in Genesis, God said, I will send the Messiah. Genesis 3.15, right after the serpent had led the man astray into rebellion against God, God comes and says, don't worry, because I will send the Messiah. I will send a Savior. Right back from then, God promised it. And even though it took a long time, it was God's time. Galatians 4, verse 4, 5 <coughs> says this, but when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman. God sent him to buy freedom for us so that he could adopt us as his very own children. Just at the right time. I know sometimes we think, God, you're leaving this very late. You know, and we, our faith is being stretched. And, but God says, at the right time, there is a right time. There is an appointed time. There is an appointed season in your life. That's what the Old, Pro Old Testament prophets said. Write the vision down for it waits for an appointed time. And that's why I encourage you to journal, to write scriptures down, to write prophetic words. Because in the distance of time, we, we, we doubt sometimes, don't we? We get discouraged because we forget what God has said in the light when it comes to the times of darkness. We forget those times. But just as it said in Isaiah 60, in that land of darkness, a great light has come upon you. And Jesus comes into the world as the light of the world. And he comes into our life as the light of the world at exactly the right time. So folks, if you're facing that discouragement today because you're wondering about the timings, God has an appointed time for your life. God has the right season. Seasons were there before the fall. Do you know that? Seasons are not part of the fall. Seasons were there before the fall. They are part of God's creation principle in our life. We can't always be up. It's not, it's not accurate, it's, it's not real life. We know that seasons change. Sometimes we can't stop them. But one of the things I, I think we have to learn in our spiritual life, <clears throat> but also very practically at this Christmas time, I think we have to manage expectations. We have to manage expectations with people. We have to learn how to handle disappointment with people because people don't always act in the way that we would expect and hope. Expectations, you see, are, are, are like the movie in our mind. Have you ever played that Christmas movie in your mind where you've written the script where it's a real blockbuster? Everything's perfect. It's just like the movies. Everyone's read the script and turns up on time. <laughs> Except they don't, do they? They don't turn up on time. And in my experience, they haven't read the script that you've written for them. Huh? 
They don't follow the lines heading towards the perfect Christmas. But we have in our minds and we have built all this stuff. All this stuff that we've put in their mouths to say where they're loving, where they're forgiving, where they're grateful for the work that we've done, where they're thankful. We have this movie playing in our mind and they don't keep to the script. And so often when it comes to Christmas, there are a lot of unspoken expectations, spiritually, but also practically. And we expect people to fulfill them. But if we do that, because we have played the script in our mind, we're setting ourselves up for conflict. We're setting ourselves up for upset. We're setting ourselves up for disappointment. So can I encourage you, whatever else you think about Christmas, dial down your expectations with other people. Not with God, but dial down your expectations with other people because it won't be like the movie in your head. <laughs> because people are people. You're not perfect. No. That should have been a louder no. You're not perfect, so why should you expect other people to be? You see, the Bible talks honestly about expectations and about disappointment. Imagine if you're Moses in Exodus 32. Come, come there for a moment. It's an easy one to find. Genesis, Exodus, <coughs> second book of the Bible. Exodus 32 is the story of the golden calf. You remember when Moses is up in that high place. He's up meeting with God. And you know what it's like in your own experience if you have those encounters with God and, and, and then you come back to the reality of life. Have you ever had that? A real moment with God and the next thing is, oh, by the way, you haven't done this. Oh, by the way, you, you got this wrong. Oh, by the way, by the way. Have you ever had that or is that just me? I tell people when I travel abroad, abroad because you know, if you're in a conference of several hundred people and you're preaching the, and you're teaching and God's moving as he does, people have an expectation of your life. And I say, listen, when I go home, I can guarantee you I still have to take out the rubbish bin. Yeah. There was a hallelujah in the corner for those who didn't hear it. That's the expectation Bev has when I come home for mission trips because she's been doing it for the last six weeks. So it's my turn. <laughs> Exodus 32, Moses goes up to this encounter with God and then he comes down and what does he find? Aaron, Aaron, his right-hand man, the man whom God sent, I'm going to give you to him, Moses. I know you've made all your excuses, so I'll give you Aaron to be your spokesman. He's the one. He's the one that built the calf. And he tries to make an excuse and say, oh, we put all our gold in and this just popped out. I mean, what is he? Four years old? That's what children say, isn't it? Oh, it just happened. And Moses is angry. Of course he's angry, but he's disappointed. But in this moment, his true leadership shines. Because Moses confronts Aaron. He does it well. He does it right. He says, this is wrong before God. Then he goes to God and prays for the forgiveness of people. And then God reassigns him his commission. Verse 34, chapter 32. Let's pick it up in verse 33, actually. But the Lord replied to Moses, No, I will erase the name of everyone who sinned against me. Now go lead the people to the place I told you about. 
Look, my angel will lead the way before you. And when I call the people to account, I will certainly hold them responsible for their sins. And we know later on, uh, because Moses intercedes and prays for them, that God's presence actually goes with them, not just an angel. We talked about that last time. Because he is a forgiving God. But in that midst of that disappointment, Moses has to get a new assignment from God. It's important that we realize that our disappointment doesn't cancel our assignment. I want to say that again. Your disappointment doesn't cancel your assignment. You may be disappointed in things. Some of you may be disappointed in me. Don't queue up afterwards. Some of you may be disappointed in the church. Some of you may be disappointed in God himself. Do you know what? Your disappointment doesn't cancel your assignment. And it doesn't cancel God's presence in your life. So do what God has told you to do. In spite of your disappointment, in spite of at times your discouragement, God comes to you again and says, go and do the leadership that I've called you to do. Amen? Amen. We have to deal honestly with disappointment. Jesus had to as well. Look at Mark chapter 10. I don't know if Jesus ever rolled his eyes, but I would like to think he, he did because the disciples were constantly getting it wrong, weren't they? The disciples were constantly messing up and people, even when he preached the truth, they didn't always respond appropriately to him. They didn't always respond right. People left Jesus in John chapter 6. Crowds left him. In fact, the word that's used is that they deserted him. It wasn't just a case of they got a little bit discouraged. They turned around and walked away from Jesus in a very deliberate act. And Jesus turns to the disciples and said, what, are you going to leave too? Are you going to leave too? I think Jesus faced real disappointment in life and I think this story is one of those times. It's the story of the rich young ruler, the rich man and he's coming to Jesus and says, good teacher, Mark 10, 17, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And I, I wonder, is he trying to justify himself? I, I wonder, is he trying to, in front of people say, actually, I'm a good person. Have you heard people say that? I'm sure God will let me into heaven. I'm a good person. I've done good things. And Jesus challenges his misconception and says, why do you call me good? Only God is good. And then he goes, goes on and explains, actually, <clears throat> keeping the commandments is the important thing. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. You must not testify falsely. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. And look at verse 21. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. You see, Jesus knew keeping the commandments wasn't actually the issue. Because he's, what he says next, there's still one thing you haven't done, he told them. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. You see, Jesus got to the heart of what the man's heart was. And it wasn't about keeping the commandments. It was the fact that he had another God. And Jesus actually in Matthew 6 and a number of times right throughout the scripture talks about wealth. But he uses a particular word and he uses the word mammon. For those of you who use King James or new King James version, it may come out because 
the idea is more than wealth. It's the idea of mammon being a god of the Old Testament. And Jesus knew that this man's god was money. It was wealth. It was possessions. So he says to him, if you want treasure in heaven, then go and sell it and then come and follow me. Jesus knew how he was going to react and he looked at him and he genuinely loved him. You know, I think sometimes Jesus looks at us and he loves us and he still loves us, but he knows we're going to make the wrong decision. He knows we're going to say, yes, Lord, yes, yes. When we sing the songs and we raise our hands and it's right to do that, but with no intention of obeying him. <laughs> with no intention of following him. I've had people come to me and say, I know what you're saying is true, but I'm still going to do what I want to do. That's the truth, isn't it? And I wonder, is the heart of God disappointed with that? Certainly we know that John the Baptist in Matthew 11 also faced disappointment. John was Jesus' cousin. He grew up with him. John was called the, the voice in the wilderness and he, he separated himself out and he begins to preach this message of repentance and he, he comes to this place of surrender to, to God and he says, he must increase and I must decrease. John knew his place. John knew that he had to surrender to God's plans and purposes and he was faithful to all that God had asked him to do but in being faithful, it got him in trouble and he ends up in prison and Jesus doesn't come on a white horse to get him out. Jesus doesn't come to rescue him and, and John's discouraged, John's disappointed at this. And he sends his disciples, John 11 to, when he heard about all the things the Messiah was doing, he sent his disciples to ask, are you the one? Are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? Can you hear the disappointment? Can you hear the sadness? Can you hear, but Jesus, I thought you would do this for me. Just like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24. But we had hoped. Jesus' death was not what they had hoped for. They had hoped for a Messiah who would come and rid them of Roman occupation. But Jesus was crucified and now this man is before them and he hasn't even heard about all that happens in Jerusalem. But we had hoped. And Jesus comes and says, Listen, look at what's happening. Go and tell John what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, the good news is preached to the poor. And John, you should know this because this is exactly what Isaiah 35 says. This is what was prophesied. This is what the voice in the wilderness was preparing the people for. John, you should know this. So don't be disappointed. In fact, he tells them, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. The word that's used there is the word scandal. He said, John, don't be scandalized because I don't work according to your personal preferences or according to your personal expectations. There is a greater kingdom. There is a greater work. There is an eternal work happening that God has promised he would do. Folks, God has plans and purposes. He does. His purposes will come to pass. He knows what he's doing in our life. 
Don't be offended. Don't be scandalized. Don't take up the bait because that's one of the images behind this. It's an, an animal caught in the trap because it took the bait. Don't take the bait of disappointment and discouragement in your life because God hasn't worked a certain way. Come back to him and say, but God, the kingdom is still advancing. The kingdom is still working. The kingdom is still doing its purpose. And we as your people, we are receiving, what does Hebrews say? We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Amen? That's the kingdom that we're receiving. Not temporal, external things. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. You see, it's not the experiences of life that define us. It's our reaction and our responses to them. It's not the experiences of life. Because have you ever noticed how the same experience can cause different reactions in different people? People can experience exactly the same thing, but two different people will react the different way. Because you see, our responses and our reactions determine how we go forward. Proverbs 24 verse 6 in the NIV says this, For though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again, but the wicked stumble when calamity strikes. The problem, I think, in the Western church is we think, oh, a righteous person should never stumble. I should never have any problems. I should never have, have any difficulties. I'm tithing. I'm coming to church. I'm praying. I'm reading my Bible. I'm serving God. I should never have any, have any problems. Have you read your Bible? The righteous will stumble. You will make mistakes. You will fall into temptation. You will get things wrong. You will have to apologize. All of those things just make us human. The righteous will stumble. But the difference is we get up again. We get up again. Because God is with us. You know, the word that's often used today is this word resilience. Have you heard it? It's the ability to bounce back. And unfortunately, I meet too many snowflake Christians. You know, you've heard that term, haven't you? When the heat goes on, they just melt away. But unfortunately, that happens even with people of faith because we think God house somehow is going to protect us and we live in this little bubble that life isn't going to affect us in the reality of life. It does. And we may stumble, but we need that resilience in our life. We need to have the mindset of resilience. In Bible words, we might call it perseverance. That's what James calls it. We might call it endurance. That's what Peter calls it. That's what the early apostles said. We need this resilience because they even though we will fall, even though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Come on, folks. That's a choice you have. It is. It's a mindset that we have. Not, not that we won't fall, not that we won't face difficulty, but whatever comes my way, I'm going to get up again. I'm going to get up again. We can foster that expectation because the promise of a Savior means He's with us. He's with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. Hebrews 12 says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And run with endurance the race God has set before us. 
We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. The champion, isn't that a wonderful word? The champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding the shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you've not given your lives in the yet given your lives in the struggle against sin. You know, folks, that expectation of the promise of a Savior and a Savior who's with us, a Savior who understands our weakness, a Savior who's been tempted in every way as we are and yet is without sin. That's what gives us the hope. That's what gives us the confidence. Kerry's going to come and develop this uh, last point for us. We can foster a sense of expectation in the experience of the shepherds. This week we had a wonderful privilege of being in, Kerry was in three schools, I was in one school in the Oaks and, and we talked to the kids. Uh, I was the shepherd, Kerry was Mary. She was very honored, very holy. <laughs> and we were talking through the story and it was amazing just to see how much they were taking in, how much they were learning, how much they were just imbibing that story of God's son coming to earth. And because of uh, your giving, one of the things that we were able to do was give them an evangelistic booklet that also includes the opportunity to color in and do some stuff and retell the story. We were able to give them to the school that's closest to us. Isn't that good news? So thank you again. Talking about giving, thank you for what you do, giving that helps us do things like that into the 95% of kids who never attend church. Thank you, Kerry. So as David said, it's worth waiting because when I was little, I was never Mary. You know the children that are always chosen to be Mary? I turned up at Christmas Explored. I wasn't meant to be Mary. I was meant to be doing a talk on gifts. Mary hadn't turned up. I got promoted to Mary. So I've actually made it. I am, I've made it as Mary. But um, one thing also David didn't mention was his actual title was a smelly shepherd. It wasn't just a shepherd. It was a smelly shepherd. And so we're going to watch a, a quick clip now where one of our shepherds is going to explain to us what an amazing part they played in the Christmas story. If you had someone, if you had some really exciting news to share, who would you share it with? Would you tell a humble shepherd out in the fields like me? Well, God had a very important announcement to make, but he chose me and my friend to tell first. Being a shepherd is really hard work. We have to watch our sheep all day and all night. Sometimes, honestly, we get pretty dirty and smelly from being outside near the sheep all of the time. People around here in the day and age don't think pretty much about us humble shepherds. We aren't popular and we don't get invited to parties, but God chose us to include us in a big event. It was a cold night in the hills above Bethlehem. We were just like, we're, we were just like this huddled a fire to keep warm, while also keeping an eye on our, sh our sheep, a sleeping sheep. Suddenly there was a bright light, so bright that we had to cover our eyes. One by one, as our eyes adjusted, we saw a beautiful angel standing in the air just above, just above us, with, 
with his hands open wide. We saw, we shepherds looked at each other and we couldn't believe what we were seeing, but we realised it must be real because we was we were all seeing the same thing. At, at once, we were very afraid, but we didn't run because we were too stunned. Then the angel spoke to us. Don't be afraid. I'm I'm here to bring you good good news. Good news for you and everyone. Today in Bethlehem, a baby is, is, being, is being born. He is the one for, who God promised would save the world. You'll find him a sleeping major. Suddenly, just as quickly as the first angel came, there were a large group of angels who all sang together with beautiful voices. Glory to God in the highest and peace to all the people on the earth. After they sang, they disappeared and the sky was dark again. We were amazed and excited straight away. We left our sheep and ran to the hills as fast as we could and we went in search of the promised child. We soon found Mary and Joseph and the baby named Jesus sleeping quietly in, in the hay. We, we fell to our knees when, jo when he, we saw him. We were filled with joy and wonder and as we left we started shouting in the street Jesus is born and telling everyone about who he Thank you. Thank you, Theo. I did really drop Theo in there. Absolutely. Because we, we recorded that without any rehearsal at all. So thank you, Theo. Really appreciate that. So one of the things that God, one of the prayers that God has really answered for me this Christmas, and actually um, David and Laureen were in my group in Encounter on Friday, and your prayers really touched me as well because uh, one of the things I was really praying was that I saw the Christmas story in a new light. Because when you're 621 and a half years old, you've heard the Christmas story quite a lot. And I really, really prayed that I would hear the Christmas story. And boy, has God delivered. The story of the shepherds. I think there's a number of things God wants us to think about. First of all, they were not um, regarded as being high status. Shepherds were just humble shepherds. So why did God choose them? God chose them because they were humble shepherds. He didn't go to the teachers of the law. He didn't go to all the people that felt they deserved it. Why not? Because they didn't have room for him. They were too engulfed in their status, in their entitlement, in their rituals and their rules they wouldn't have had room for Jesus. The shepherds did. They were humble shepherds. They were smelly shepherds, but they were the ones that God chose. And the angels came and spoke to them. And this really, really struck me because the shepherds had to make a decision. And this is where we can see the difference between humility and being too um, down on ourselves. Because the shepherds could have listened to the angels they could have said, yes, this saviour's been born, but look at me. I'm smelly. I'm dirty. I've got nothing. I'm not going to go and see the king. But actually, although they were humble, they had enough self-confidence to think, yeah, I'm going to go and see. And if I'm honest, I think some of us are stuck in that field. I think sometimes God asks us to do things and we say, 
I can't. My life is too messy. Everything that I'm carrying is too heavy. And some of us stay in that field rather than moving on to where God wants us to go. Those shepherds didn't go off and have a bath and get themselves all prepped up to see God. They went. They went exactly as they are. And I think some of us really need to hear that, that, yeah, we're in a mess. Yeah, we, we think we've got nothing to give. If God is calling you, move out of that field. Just as you are, he will deal with it, but move out of that field. So the shepherds then went and they saw baby Jesus and they bowed down before him and worshipped him. Can you imagine that? It gives me goosebumps thinking of the angels telling you over here and you take the risk to go and you get there and it's exactly as they say it's going to be. And you are in front of the Messiah. And the angels have told you that he's come as a saviour. That's such an important word. He hasn't come as an important person. He's come to save you. Not everybody else, but you. And so some of us, I think, and this is a really risky thing to say, but I really think that that God, God was saying that to me when I was preparing. I think some of us are actually stuck in the stable as well. Because we love to come and worship God. We love to come and be filled and to, yeah, just all the excitement of church. Because new life is a very special place to be. And some of us, should I go to the handheld? Some of us love to come and worship. And that's amazing. And we need to do it. But some of us are stuck here. Because what did the shepherds have to do? They didn't stay and worship and worship. They had to go out and tell the good news. And I think as churches all over the world, we have been um, really, really guilty of being stuck at the club. We're all part of a church. It's wonderful. We love each other. But actually, we don't want anyone else to come and ruin our club. Actually, we don't want to go out there. It's a bit scary. And so I think there's two places we're either stuck in the field or we're stuck by the manger. God wants us to be like the shepherds. He wants us to go out. They couldn't contain themselves. They had to share that good news. That is what our responsibility is. God came as a saviour in baby Jesus. He came for every single one of us, but he also came for every single one of the people that on this Sunday morning haven't got a clue what he's about. And they need to hear it. And there's own, the only people that can do that are his church. And so that's what I felt he was saying about the shepherds. But I noticed something else. Because David's been talking about waiting. What I'd forgotten, I'd never seen this before in the story. The shepherds saw Jesus. They worshipped him. They went away. They told people about him. What did they then have to do? They had to wait because Jesus didn't start his ministry until 30 years later. So some of those shepherds that heard the good news, that went and saw and realized it was the Messiah born, some of them never would have actually seen Jesus doing his work because it was 30 years later. But even now, thousands of years later, we are dressing children up in tea towels, acting out the shepherd story because they were so important. And that message is so important to us because we can really doubt what difference we're making. Sometimes we plod on and we plod on and we plod on and we don't seem to see any growth, 
any seeds, anything growing from all the things that we're trying to do, keep going. Because we might never see it. We might never see the fruits of what God's asking us to do. But others will. Because if we are obedient to God, he will use it. He might not use it in the way we expect. He might not use it in a way we can see. But he is using us now. And even when it's hard, we need to be resilient. Because he is going to use what we're doing now in the future to build his kingdom. And that really, really encouraged me. Because I think sometimes we expect to see those wow results straight away. Sometimes that doesn't happen. But it doesn't mean God's not working. And I really hope, we never know what happened to those shepherds, but I really hope that some of them, 30 years later, heard John the Baptist's message about preparing the way and realised now it's happening. Wouldn't that have been amazing? Wouldn't have that just made them feel, yes, we were right, God did tell us to do, we followed him, we were obedient, and now it's going to happen. I just thought that was an amazing message. And so as we're going into Christmas, I wonder if we're really ready in our hearts to really experience what God wants us to experience. One thing that I thought about this morning when I was coming to church, and again, it just really made me smile because we as New Life Church are so, so fortunate to have a leader that spends so long praying and seeking God's will. Because I was thinking about the series that we've been doing leading up to Christmas. We should be ready for Christmas. Because first of all, we had the series that David chose about who is God. Wasn't that amazing? And again, the shepherds needed to know who God was before they could respond. We know because we've had the teaching. Then we had the series um, about the Beatitudes. What do we need to do? What's our response And again, we know who we are in God because of that teaching. Then we had the spirit series about being a spiritually dynamic church. We can now do what the shepherds did because we know how to be so spiritually secure in God that we can go out and share the news, even if they reject it, because we're secure because of that teaching. So those three stepping stones to Christmas, I feel so fortunate that we've been able to do that And now we get to Christmas. What an amazing time to really understand who Jesus is, what he wants us to do, and how we need to respond. So like John the Baptist said, we need to make sure that our paths are straight. We need to remove any stumbling blocks and make room in our heart for God. So we're going to listen to a song now, and it's just going to be a little bit of time. And children, I would ask you and encourage you to do this as well, because you have a huge part to play in this. You need to be inviting people to church. You need to be showing people who Jesus is. Do you know what something, and I'm sorry if it really embarrasses her, but Tilia, the first youth meeting that Sinead and Harold ran, she invited a friend. That is doing what the shepherds did. That is really showing people who Jesus is. So as we listen to this song, let's really ask God to show us where do we need to make room for him? this Christmas. A family hiding from the storm 
Found no place at the keeper's door. It was for this a child was born to save a world so cold and hollow. A sleeping town they did not know that lying in a manger alone, a savior king who had no has come to heal our sorrows. Is there room in your heart? Is there room in your heart? Is there room in your heart for God to write his story? I think that's the call for us to respond to him today. 
I don't know where you are in your relationship with God. Some of you maybe watch it online. And you've never taken that step of, of giving your life to Christ. It's a very simple thing to do. You can say, Jesus, I make room for you. I make room for you in my life. Doesn't have to be complicated. If you've done that, you'd like to know more information about that, you can email us. Hello at newlifecrawley.church and we'll pick up the email, send you some resources. Maybe you're in the room and you've never actually taken that step. Maybe you've been to church for years, but you've never actually taken that step of saying, Jesus, I give you my life. You can do that right now. You can do that today. We'll make this the best Christmas ever. <laughs> Just give him room. For those of you who have been Christians a long time, maybe you're a little bit jaded, maybe you're a little bit disappointed, maybe you're a little bit discouraged and you just need to come back and focus on him again. Maybe you're so busy that actually God's getting squeezed out of your Christmas. It could easily happen. Would you come back and say, God, would you write into my story again? Would you write into my story, the story of your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, your acceptance? Lord, I'm going to make room for you Christmas 2023. I'm going to make room for you. You know, even our kids, young people, you can make that your prayer today. You make room for him. So, Father, we bless you for the message that we've heard today. And we can experience something of you because you came for us. That our expectation is that you will not cast us away if we come to you. So, Lord, we choose to come to you today. We choose to honor you. We choose to make room for you. We choose to give you space to write in our story a fresh chapter. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious toward you and give you peace. In Jesus' name. In a couple of minutes, we're going to have some, some tea and coffee. We're going to play a song. Video is called Behold Him. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope that you enjoyed the teaching. We'd love to hear from you, so please contact us. All the details can be found on our website. God bless.